All right. <laughs> Praise God. Uh, open your Bibles with me this morning to the 11th chapter of, uh, of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to come back this morning, and uh, we're going to continue uh, with our eyes on the prize. That's just, uh, it's been the title of, uh, for me of this series of sermons from Hebrews. Um, and my prayer is, is that we, we would get this. This really is the call of faith. Keep your eyes on Jesus, okay? But I want to begin just by asking you the same question I asked the kids. Anybody here worried about the future or concerned about, about what's going on in this world? Anybody here watched any uh, news this past week and, uh, uh, you know, all the stuff going on over in Israel and Gaza and all that? Does that bother you at all? Are you concerned about all that? I'm seeing some head shaking. Maybe you haven't been watching the news. I don't know. <laughs> or other places in the world, there's, there's a whole lot of uncertainty in this world. I was asked this past week, uh, Brother Greg, do you believe that this is fulfillment of prayer, uh, I mean of a prophecy? And I will tell you that I'm not a prophet. I'm not the son of a prophet. But uh, I do believe this is fulfillment of prophecy. The Lord Jesus said there will be wars and rumors of wars. Right? And that's what we've got. And, you know, if you think about it, <laughs> the Lord Jesus' words have been, uh, have been fulfilled over and over again. There's wars and rumors of wars. There's all different kinds of wars. Some of these are national wars, and certainly, uh, you know, the attack on Israel is one of those. Some of them are interpersonal wars. Some of them are family wars. I mean, there are wars, and there are rumors of wars. And, uh, and so I guess the Lord, what the Lord Jesus uh, said is true, isn't it? And I guess the question is, what should we do about it? And, uh, and you know, the, the, the word always is, well, let's pray for peace. Right? I mean, right? I mean uh, isn't that what we should do? Should we be praying for peace? And the answer is yes. But let me tell you something, uh, beloved. If Jesus said there's going to be wars and rumors of wars, then basically he said there's not going to be any peace till what? Till he comes. Right? I mean, isn't that, isn't, I mean, if, if you look at the context of his words there. In fact, Jesus, who is the Prince of Peace, is the only hope for this world, beloved. He's the only hope for Israel. He's the only hope for the United States. He's the only hope for you and your family. It's Jesus. There will be no peace apart from Jesus. So really, what we probably ought to be praying for is revival. I mean, let's pray that God's Holy Spirit would be poured out, that people in Israel and people in Gaza and every place in between would get saved, that Jews, Muslims, Hindus, whoever, would find Jesus and get saved because there's no hope, beloved, for peace in this world apart from Jesus until Jesus comes again. I'm just telling you what Jesus said. There'll be wars and rumors of war. Yes, this is a fulfillment of prophecy. And whatever else God is doing uh, there, you know, uh, Lord, take it. Because <laughs> I tell you what, I've not seen anybody else that seems to know what's going on or, or how it's all going to come out. Beloved, Jesus is the only answer for this world. He's the only answer for this nation. The reason we've got so much division and conflict in our own country is because we've turned our back on God and we've pushed Jesus out. 
And he's being pushed out of many churches today. And I'll be honest with you. I mean, I'm very troubled uh, about the future, as I suppose many of us are. As I look at what's going on in my own country, as I look at what's going on in, uh, uh, in my own community, sometimes as I look at what's going on in my own family, and what are we to do? How should we respond? What's the answer? <laughs> Well, Jesus is the answer. I mean, the only way really to respond is to come to him. This is why, you know, we, we just preach the gospel. And we tell people about Jesus. And I will tell you that Jesus is still alive in this world. And as long as Jesus is, is at work and as long as God's people are sharing Jesus, there's hope for this world. There's hope for this nation. There's hope for your family. There's hope for your life. So... So pray, <laughs> pray for revival, pray for Jesus. And uh, I mention that because um, in 1984, um, uh, Donna and I and our two small children, our son was born that year, we came, back to, uh, we came back to Texas. I was in the Navy. We were serving up in Idaho. I was instructing at the Naval Nuclear Facility up there. And um, we went out to Plainview, Texas. My uh, grandmother... Uh, I'll just call her Nan. Nan lived out there. Uh, that was my name for her. And uh, her name was Dolly, but Nan uh, lived there. My grandfather had passed away the year before. And, uh, and so we came back uh, to see Nan. And, uh, and I sat down and told her, I said, Nan, I really believe that God uh, is calling me to preach. Uh, just a couple of months before in our church there in Idaho, I had... Uh, I had basically, I don't know how else to say it other than I totally surrendered my life to the Lord and said, okay, you want me to be a preacher? And God had been calling me for some time. I finally said yes. And, and, so, uh, and so we, Donna and I were beginning to look at what that was going to look like in our life, you know, and how that was going to work out. And the Lord was at work in our family. And so I told Nan, I said, Nan, I, I think God's calling me to preach. And, uh, you know, I've told this story before. She said, get in the car, you know. So we went out and got in the car, and she took me down to the local clothing store. And I can't remember. It was, you know, it was there in Plainview, Texas. And anyway, she bought me a suit because she said, if you're going to be a preacher, you need to look like a preacher because preachers wear suits, wear a coat and tie. She was very troubled by the fact that there were some preachers out there that weren't wearing, you know, a coat and tie. And so she wanted to make sure that her preacher boy grandson was going to uh, wear a coat and tie. So anyway, she bought me a suit. And then uh, we were talking, and she said, Greg, uh, this is God's answer to my prayer. And I was like, what? You know, she said, I've been praying that God would call someone in our family to the ministry to preach. And she said, I've specifically been praying for you. I really believe that God was going to to call you to, to be a preacher. I really believe that, and I've been praying for you. And, I, you know, I've, I've told you folks before, I think, because my, my grandma was very instrumental in my life. And not that my parents weren't, but, but she was. And the earliest memories I have is of her praying over me. She would tuck me in the bed at night, and she would pray over me. She would tell me stories from the Bible. I learned the Bible from my grandmother. And, uh, and then she would pray over me. And grandmothers, God bless you, all right? Don't... And now I'm going to cry or something, but you don't give up. Right? But anyway, she, uh, she said, this answer, prayer. And I said, well, Nan, 
why, you know, why, why was that so important to him? Because it was obviously very important to her. And uh, she said, well, you know, and, and she came from a long line of, uh, of, uh, of Baptists, of Christians, and uh, her, her parents and her grandparents and her grandfather had been a preacher, and my grandfather's father was a preacher. And, uh, and you know, she just, she just believed that our family, you know, was, uh, was supposed to, uh, to carry on the legacy, I guess. You know, we needed a preacher in the family, right? And I was it. And I, by the way, I do blame my grandmother for me being in the ministry all these years. 37 years later, I'm still here in the ministry. But um, um, almost 40 years. Yeah. But she was concerned about the future. She was concerned about the future of her family, but she was also concerned about the future of her nation and her world. She believed that the only hope for this world was Jesus. And if that's true, then we need preachers. And so she had been praying, you know, that, that God would call one of her grandchildren, you know, to be a preacher. And he did. And this was answered prayer for her. And, and I just want to pause right here a moment and say, I thank God, first of all, for a godly heritage from grandparents and parents who, uh, you know, who uh, raised me and modeled for me, you know, the... Uh, the gospel and the love of God. And, and I know many of you might, might also uh, praise the Lord for that as well. Let me just encourage you in a couple of different ways. Number one, make sure you pass it on. And how am I going to do that? First of all, I'm going to live it and model it. But then I need to pray as well. Pray for your children. Pray for your grandchildren. Pray that God would raise up this next generation of believers, right? Don't give up. Don't quit. I mean, and she could have quit, you know, because for a while there, it looked like, man, I was just going to make a mess of this thing. And, and praise God, you know, her prayers, maybe other people's prayers, I don't know, but the Lord somehow protected me from myself and, and then was able to call me and then was able to use me, which has always been the craziest thing for me. Maybe you don't have a godly heritage. Start one. Start one right? Because I'll tell you again, the only hope for this nation is Jesus. And the people of God, I mean, listen, we, we, first of all, we need to rise up. And number two, we need to be passing it on because we're not always going to be here. I'll mention that just a little bit more uh, here in just a moment, right? If you've received a legacy of faith, pass it on and pray. And if you haven't received a legacy of faith, Start one and pass it on and pray, right? And thank God that he has not given up on us. Here in Hebrews, um, the author is encouraging these Jewish Christians to keep their eyes on Jesus. He's the prize. He's the prize. And he has detailed for us exactly how Jesus is the prize. And here in uh, the 11th chapter... He's gotten to where uh, to, to what is sometimes called the great roll call of faith, and basically what it is is just people live have lived out their faith all from the very beginning. Because how are we saved? By grace through faith. That's the way people were saved in the Old Testament. That's the way. Uh, they're saved in the New Testament. That's the way we're saved today. Abraham believed God. It's counted him as righteous. He was saved by grace through faith. All right, but faith is not just. It's not just a belief. You know, it's not just something that goes on in your head or even your heart. It is lived out in your life. If it's not lived out, you know, James says, faith without works is dead. And that's what he's talking about. 
We have to live out our faith. Faith is to be lived. And what we see here in the 11th chapter of Hebrews is just that model, okay? People, all, kind, all different kinds of people from all different kinds of walk of life, every area of life, every aspect of life, faith works if you'll put it to work in your life. And so that's what we have modeled here, just, just uh, people Normal, everyday people living out their faith. Now, now beginning with uh, Abraham, and, and last uh, couple of weeks ago, or maybe before I went to Lesotho, I, um, uh, we looked at Abraham, beginning in verse 17. He says, by faith, Abraham. And in these next couple of verses, there's basically five generations. And I want you to see, first of all, just let me mention how the faith was passed on, right? So you've got Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, uh, Joseph, and then you're going to have Ephraim and Manasseh, the two sons of Joseph. That's five generations. And it all began, the legacy began with Abraham himself. He didn't have a legacy of faith. He came from pagans. He started it. <laughs> he believed God. God counted it to him as righteousness, and he passed it on to his son and his family, and it just went on down. And I know some of us are sitting here going, well, you know, it hadn't worked out quite that way for, uh, you know, for my family. And maybe, you know, you made a mess of it. Maybe somebody else made a mess of it. Maybe the whole family's a mess. It's not too late because uh, God is faithful and he's able. He is able. And so wherever you find yourself this morning, I want, to, I want you to see that you can put your faith to work right now in the life of your family and for your future. Watch this. Let's, we're going to pick the story up here with Isaac in verse 20. It says, By faith Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. By faith Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, and he worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, as he was nearing the end of his life, mentioned the exodus of the Israelites and gave instructions concerning his bones. And may the Lord add his blessing to the reading and hearing of his word. And again, let me just point out to you, what's the key words here? By faith, by faith, by faith, by faith, Isaac and his sons, by faith, Jacob and his grandsons, by faith, Joseph and, well, Joseph in eternity. And so let me just show you how faith works for the future. All right, three things here, and then hopefully we'll be able to get out in time to beat the Methodists to the uh, restaurant. Here we go. First of all, faith for the future. Faith works for the future when, number one, when your future is threatened by betrayal. Watch this now. When your future is threatened by betrayal, you can trust God. Your faith works. And so he mentions Isaac. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau. Now, the thing about Isaac is um, we, we know less about Isaac from Scripture than any of the other big three, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the three patriarchs. Isaac, the, you know, the son of the promise, Abraham's big, Jacob's big. Isaac, we don't really get a whole lot about Isaac. We know, I mean, if you were to look at his life, I think probably you would say, 
the big thing about him was he was obedient to his father. So when his father took him up on Mount Moriah to offer him as a sacrifice, he was obedient. I really think probably by that point, Isaac was probably close to 30. He might not have been quite that old, but he was, he was an older, uh, I think he was a man by that time. He could have overpowered his father. He was obedient to his father. And then uh, he waited until his father found him a wife because that's the way he had been taught that's the way things worked. And finally, Abraham decided it was time uh, that he get a wife. And so uh, he sent a servant off, servant brought back Rebecca, and he was obedient. He married Rebecca. He, he fell head over heels in love with Rebecca, and, uh, and she became his wife. And then, uh, you know, for a while she was unable to conceive children, but then God blessed her, and she uh, conceived. And as she was carrying uh, this baby, it turned out it wasn't just one. It was two. And uh, they were at war with each other inside the womb. And she went and uh, uh, talked to God. And uh, the father said, well, uh, you've got two nations within you. That's what's going on. And they're going to be a war with each other. And so you remember how uh, she gave birth to these two babies. The first one to come out was all redheaded and hairy. And so that's what they named him. They named him Red, Esau, Edom. And uh, the second one to come out was hanging on to his older brother now. So the firstborn, he was hanging on to his heel. He was grabbing his heel. So that's what they named him, heel grabber, Jacob. And uh, uh, little Red and little heel grabber grew up to, uh, with each other and, uh, uh, in that home. And Esau was, uh, was his daddy's son. Man, he was an all-American boy. He uh, loved to hunt and fish. He was probably the captain of the football team in high school. You know, I mean, he was just a rough, rugged guy. His daddy was just all over him. His daddy loved him. Jacob was more of a mama's boy. You know, he took home ec in high school, and uh, he liked to cook and clean and uh, do all those things, wash dishes like this little brother uh, said a minute ago, you know. Uh, he might have been one of the cheerleaders. I don't know, but... Um, but anyway, one day uh, Esau, you know the story, Esau is out hunting or whatever he's doing. He comes in, he's starving, and uh, Jacob has cooked up a, a pot of stew and uh, beef stew, man. And it was, uh, man, it was smelling good, it was looking good, because Jacob was a good cook. And uh, Esau said, give me some of that stew. And Jacob says, no problem, I'll give you all the stew you want. I tell you what, though, I'll sell it to you. I'm not going to give it to you, I'll sell it to you for your birthright. The birthright meant as the firstborn, that meant he was going to get a double inheritance from the father, and uh, he was going to get the double blessing, all right? And so that's what the birthright was all about. And Esau said, what good is that for me? If I starve to death, give me some of that stew. And so he sold his birthright. He despised the, ver the birthright, sold it for a, uh, for a bowl of soup. And uh, time, a little bit more time went on, and Jake, uh, Isaac at that point was old and uh, uh, his eyesight was failing, and he knew he was going to die soon. And so he called the uh, firstborn son in. He said, Red, I want you to get out there and uh, go out there and kill me a deer. And I want you to cook up some backstrap and bring it in. And uh, i tell you what, we're going to have a good meal, and then I'm going to give you the blessing. I'm going to pass it on to you. And so Esau said, I'm gone, Dad. I'll be right back. And, boy, he took off. And, but Rebecca, Isaac's wife, had heard that and uh and she didn't want Esau to get the blessing she wanted her favorite Jacob to get the blessing and so she said Jacob uh they concocted this this ruse in which uh she would cook up some some meat and uh uh disguise it as backstrap I suppose and then 
uh, they put some hair on him, you know, they put some skins on him, and uh, they put Esau's clothes on him so it'd smell like Esau. And they deceived Isaac. They tricked him. They tricked him. His, his own wife, his own wife conspired to trick his own son. And it worked. And he gave Jacob the blessing. And uh, right after uh, the blessing was over, then Esau came in with that cooked back strap and said, I'm ready for the blessing, Dad. <laughs> and Dad said, who are you? He said, well, I'm Esau. I'm your son. I'm ready for the blessing. No, I just blessed Esau. You can't be. No, that was my brother. That must have been my brother. He's the, tr he's the heel grabber. Doesn't, isn't that what his name is? He tricked you, Dad. And you know what's really interesting about that? is Isaac did not take the blessing back. He could have. He could have spoken a curse over his son Jacob. He didn't do it. He didn't do it. He gave another blessing, a lesser blessing to Esau, but he gave a blessing. And what's really interesting about this, and, and, and the writer of Hebrews tells us this there back in verse 20, he says, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau. Esau was the one that was supposed to get it. Jacob tricked him and got it. Jacob deceived him. And Jacob got it. Esau got some too. And God somehow, someway worked all of that mess out. In fact, let me tell you what the lesson here is, Okay. You ready? Here it is. God used the betrayal of his own son to work out his purposes and plans. In fact, you know, Jacob, his descendants turn out to be Israel, right? Esau's descendants turn out to be Edom. Some people think that maybe Palestinian might be a way they're described these days. Isn't that interesting that those things are still going on over there? Isaac trusted God, even though he had been betrayed. Did it break his heart? Yes. Did it hurt him? Did it wound him? Yes. Was it his own family that did this to him? Yes. Did he trust God through it? Yes. And did God take it all and work it out for the good and the glory of God and the good of his people? Yes, because God is Captain, God is in charge of the future. And even when you've been betrayed, even when you've been hurt, even when you've been violated, the grace and glory of God and the power of God is able to take what others mean for evil or what others do uh, to mess it up. He can work his purposes and plans in that. And if he's able to do that, if he was able to do that with Isaac and those two boys, I wonder what he could do with your own life. You know, um, just thinking about this, I was, as I was preparing for this, I was thinking, you know, no wonder that Paul in the 11th chapter of Romans he, he's talking about the purposes and plans of God through Israel and how he's worked all these things out. And then at one point, he just stops and he says this in verse 33, Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and untraceable his ways. <laughs> you know what he's saying? He's saying, listen, we can trust him with our future. Can I ask you a question? You ever been betrayed? Anybody ever lied to you? 
cheated you, scammed you. Listen, we're living in a world full of Jacobs, aren't we? <laughs> Isn't that true? And you know, when other people, you know, outside there, when they do things like this, do well, shame on me, it's bad and everything. But when it's somebody that you love, your own family, or somebody close, somebody else like that, when they stab you in the back, when they betray you, when they hurt you, what do you want to do? I mean, it's human nature. We get back, we get mad, we get hurt, we do whatever. That's human nature. How does faith work in the midst of that? I know a couple that worked all their lives. They built a company, and it was a company worth several millions of dollars, and they were ready to retire. And so they sold that company, but it was self-financed. And somebody else uh, that they had worked with and raised up and trained, bought the company from them. And their retirement was going to be, they were going to pay this, they were going to pay them back. It was going to be over the next 20 years or so. And that, uh, what they were going to receive from that would be their retirement. They would be able to make it. And then on beyond that. And within about a year, maybe a year and a half, those folks that, had, that they had sold their company to had not only run that company in the ground, they had taken all the assets out of it, and there was nothing left. And then they, they took off, and there was, there was nothing left. And here's a couple that worked all their life, and now they're betrayed by someone that they had trusted and actually had acted in a trustworthy way too. And this couple, he had to go back to work just so they could make ends meet. Here they are in their retirement. They're supposed to be their golden years, and, and it was going to be a very nice. Now they've got absolutely nothing. And, you know, this particular couple, if you had known, sweetest couple, loved the Lord, served in the church. I once asked, I was talking to him, and I said, man, how are you making it? How are you going to, how are you going to make it through all this? And he said, you know, we just, you know, you know, Job said the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Yeah, do we, did it hurt? Do we hate it? Yes. But you know what? We see the activity and the hand of God in our lives, and it might be that we had all that, that we wouldn't be serving him like we are to now. We're just going to trust God. We're just going to keep going with him. And you know what? They just kept on going with Jesus. How in the world do you make it in this world when you're betrayed by those who are supposed to love you? Faith. This is how faith works. This is how we walk, by faith and not by sight, keeping our eyes on Jesus. What anybody else says or anybody else does, or that is not what, what, what we need to be worried about, what we need to be worried about, what God is going to do with it because he is able to do all things. If he can take a couple of boys, Esau and Jacob, and he can work his purposes and plans out for thousands and thousands of years and still doing it to this day, and I don't know all the things that God is doing, but he's doing it. If you can trust, if, if, if Isaac could trust him with his future, even though he'd been betrayed, you can trust him with your future no matter what somebody else has done to you. You hear that? All right, that's the first thing. That's Isaac. Here's the second thing. You can trust God or faith works when your future is threatened by failure. By failure. Now, first of all, when it's threatened by betrayal, okay, we see how that works. When, when your future is threatened by your own Failure. Here's Jacob, the heel grabber. And you know, after he uh, stole the blessing 
and betrayed his own father, Esau said, hey, brother, <laughs> you know, dad's not going to be around too long, and whenever he dies, we're going to have two funerals. You're going to be buried right beside him. Well, Jacob took off. His mama sent him off because he didn't want didn't to have two funerals. And so Jacob went up to uh, met some family, his mother's family, up in a place called Haran. It's up by the Euphrates River, way up north. And, man, he fell head over heels in love with a girl named Rachel. He went to Rachel's daddy and said, I want to marry that girl. Her daddy said, no problem. Uh, there's a little, except there's a little issue with the dowry. Okay. Uh, what are you going to give? For this, by the way, uh, just uh, as I was thinking about this, I, I think I mentioned—I don't know if I mentioned it in the sermon last week—but I did find out that in uh, that in Lesotho, the typical dowry, and they still still work that way. If a if a boy wants to marry a girl, he gives her daddy twelve cows. The 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 price of a bride is about twelve cows. Okay. So anyway, what's the dowry? I, I'm just that's just extra. Anybody awake here? We cool about this? All right. <laughs> I was going to say, how many cows did you have, to, guys, did you have to give? But never mind. Anyway, um, so anyway, um, where was I? Yeah. So, uh, so Laban said, yeah, where, where's your cows? I don't see any cows here. And uh, and Jacob says, well, I don't have any cows, but I tell you, I want to marry her. I tell you, well, what if I work for you seven years, and then you give me Rachel as a bride? Laban said, man, that sounds like pretty good. Uh, okay, seven years of labor ought to be worth about 12 cows. All right, so let's do that. So he worked seven years. It seemed like a day to him, man. He was so in love. Every day he'd see Rachel. Man, he just couldn't wait to marry Rachel. And they came, worked his seven years. The day came, they had this big wedding ceremony, and Everything works out great. It's all wonderful and perfect. Until the next morning, he realized that Uncle Laban had put a little switch in there because Rachel had an older sister named Leah. And uh, he ended up marrying Leah and not Rachel. He goes to, he goes to Laban and says, look, what happened here? I, I worked these seven years for Rachel, and you gave me Leah. And Laban said, oh, man, I forgot to tell you. Did I forget to tell you this? Um. You know, we've got, a, we've got a custom around here. I can't marry off the younger daughter till I marry off the older daughter. You know, you work seven years for that older daughter. I tell you what, work another seven years, I'll go ahead and give you Rachel too. Right? The trickster was tricked. The trickster was tricked. You know, if you look at uh, Jacob's life, I mean, his life is just like one crisis, <coughs> one crisis after another. I mean, um, he just, man, he just went from, 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 one, from one thing to the next. Man, it really, his whole life is almost like one big failure. I mean, a flop. Stayed there 20 years. He's on his way. Um, he's finally on his way home. He hears that Esau is coming to meet him with 400 of his men. And finally, the trickster has run out of tricks, man. He doesn't know what he's going to do. And so he puts everybody else in front of him, and he spends the night by himself by the little brook or the wadi Jabak. And that night, God showed up. Scripture says the angel of the Lord met Jacob, and Jacob just couldn't just listen to him. again. He had to wrestle with him, so all night long he wrestles with the angel of the Lord. Finally, the Lord reaches down and throws and actually shatters his hip. And, 
And then he just reaches out and holds on. The grabber now grabs on to Jesus because the angel of the Lord there was the pre-incarnate Christ. That was Jesus in the Old Testament, okay? But, but he reaches out and he grabs on and holds on. Jesus says, I think you need to let go of me. He says, I'm not letting go unless you bless me. And, and the Lord Jesus, the, the angel of the Lord, blessed him there. And the Scripture says that after, and that literally changed his life. When you grab a hold of Jesus, it's going to change your life. Changed his life, but it says after that he limped. <laughs> he limped. Look at what the writer of Hebrews says here in verse 21. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of his sons of Joseph. Let me mention that here in just a second. And he worshiped leaning on the top of his staff. Do you see that? Leaning on the top of his staff. What was that all about? He had a shattered hip. For the rest of his life, he limped along. Why? Because God was reminding him that when you come to the end of your strength and your power, when you have failed and all you can do is grab onto me, that is enough. The rest of his life, he limped on that, reminding him that he was holding on to Jesus and Jesus was all he needed. Beloved, listen, there is a future for failures. It doesn't matter what you've done or where you've gone or what's happened in your life. You know, at the end of his life, Joseph brings, and this is what the, the writer is talking about here, the sons of Joseph, his, Jacob's own grandsons. He blessed them. So, so there's uh, Manasseh and Ephraim, and Manasseh is the older one. He's the firstborn. And uh, he's going to get the blessing from the right hand. So Joseph is sitting there, you know, and, uh, and uh, he stands up leaning on his, leaning on his, uh, uh, his staff. And uh, Joseph puts Manasseh on this side and Ephraim on this side because he's going to lay his hands on him. And the blessing is going to go to Manasseh. And, uh, and Jacob does this. <laughs> and, and he crosses his hands over, and he puts the right hand on Ephraim and the left hand on Manasseh. And Joseph's like, no, 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 that's not the way it works, Dad. No. And jo Jacob says, look, I know what I'm doing because God's got a purpose and plan for these boys, and this is the way it's going to work. And if you, follow, if you follow the rest of Scripture and you understand, you know, what Esau or, or what uh, Ephraim was all about, he became actually that northern kingdom. He became one of the predominant or the dominant tribes in all of Israel, and the northern kingdom was known as Ephraim. Okay, so, so God, God knew what he was doing. He, he took the failure's life. He took this man who was just a royal, classical screw-up. He was a trickster. He had gotten through his whole life by hook and by crook, best he could. But when it finally came down to the place, he couldn't do anything else. He grabbed onto Jesus, and it changed his life. Let me ask you, this is the question that I have for you. Have you ever failed? You ever messed up? You ever done anything in your life where, like, man, I'm, <laughs> what in the world is I thinking? I'm never going to get over this. I'm, I'm not sure how. And, and you try and you try and you work and you scheme and everything else, and nothing seems to work. Beloved, here's the message. There's a future for failures, and it's Jesus. And it's Jesus. When you're at that place where you've tried everything and it's not working and you can't do anything else, I got a, I got a, 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 a suggestion for you. Reach out and take hold of Jesus. And Jesus will do it for you. You know, the last uh, two days, I've been uh, out at the prison with some of our men, and uh, we've had a crusade out there. Started on uh, Friday afternoon, 
and uh, continued all day yesterday. It's continuing on today. There's a, there's a group of volunteers out there sharing the gospel. We have seen, uh, I don't know how many, I don't have any type of count, but there are many, many of those young men out there who profess faith in Christ uh, over the last two days. And today, I, really, I mean, there's been, uh, I, I, I didn't say that. Somebody asked me, why didn't you tell us about this? I wasn't sure it was going to happen until just early last week because the warden was kind of, they been having some mess out there. But anyway, it all came together. I wanted to back out of it. It didn't. We, we pulled it off, and, man, the Holy Spirit just showed up. And uh, there's a whole bunch of guys got saved out there this weekend. We've got three field ministers out there. Two of them are convicted murderers. One of our field ministers, when he was 19, he was just a teenager. Uh, it might have been 18 at the time. He was... Uh, he had been to a party. He got in the back of somebody's pickup truck because he had gotten a fight with some guys. He had a gun, and on their, uh, just driving away, he fired the gun twice, killed a kid. He's doing a life sentence in prison. One of the other, uh, one of the other our field ministers stabbed a girl, <laughs> killed her. One of the other ones committed armed robbery. These guys are massive screw-ups, losers in life. And you know, in prison, they met Jesus. <laughs> all of them got saved. All three of these guys, they're doing long-term. They're in their 40s now, and they have been in prison for over 20 years. They've got a seminary degree, all three of these guys, and they really are our pastors in that prison out there. And let me tell you something. Uh, you don't think that there's revival happening in this nation. Look at the prisons, because they're not the only ones. There's a bunch of screw-ups, mess-ups, People that we would throw in the trash heap and say, you're no good. Nothing's ever going to come in your life. And their lives have been changed by Jesus, and now he's using them. And I tell you what, if he can do something like that in those guys, I wonder what he can do in your life. I wonder what he can do with your failure. I wonder what he can do with all the screw-ups. You know, they're sitting in this room this morning. There is a future for failures because by faith... Listen, Jesus holds the future, and he can overcome even your failure. Okay, so first thing is, when you're betrayed, you can trust him with your future. When you fail, you can trust him with your future. Last one, real quick. When death threatens your future, you can trust him. So there's Joseph. And look at what it says about him down there in verse, uh, what is that, verse 22. Um, by faith, Joseph, as he was nearing the end of his life, mentioned the exodus of the Israelites and gave instructions concerning his bones. Now, now you remember the story, and you can, you can read about this again in uh, Genesis chapter 50. But anyway, it's the very last chapter in Genesis. And by the way, uh, there's more in Genesis about Joseph than anybody else. I mean, 14 chapters are devoted to his life. And there's a whole lot of different stuff that the writer of Hebrews could have mentioned here. You know, he was sold into slavery, trusted God. He was uh, false accused, trusted God. He was forgotten in prison, trusted God. Became the number two in Egypt, trusted God. He was able to lead the country through, you know, the seven years of famine, trusted God. I mean, by faith, by faith, by faith, that was his life. And the writer of Hebrews here chooses this one thing at the end of his life. And what happened at the end of his life? In, in Genesis chapter 50, he's about to die, and he calls um, 
uh, you know, he calls uh, his brothers in. And this is what he says. It's found in verse 24 of Genesis 50. Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will certainly come to your aid and bring you up from this land to the land he swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's our, our daddy, our granddaddy, our great-granddaddy. So Joseph made the sons of Israel take an oath. Oaths are very important. When God comes to your aid, you're to carry my bones up from here. And so the very last verse in Genesis says that Joseph's body was embalmed and he was placed in a coffin in Egypt. Now, if you've ever been to one of my funerals, a lot of times I'll share this. Hebrews did not use coffins and they didn't have a word for coffin. The Hebrew word here is literally hope or this could be translated bone box. Okay, so Joseph was put his body was put in a bone box. And it sat there. They didn't bury it. I mean, what do you do with a casket, right? You bury it. Or what do you do with the ashes? You do something with them. You don't, I mean, some people have them hanging around, but most people, you know, do something. Well, well, Joseph's were just kind of sitting there. And all those years, they were, they're in Egypt. Somebody go, what's that? Oh, that's Joseph's bones. Well, what's that all about? Well, why don't we bury it? No, because somebody took an oath, and we're going to have to take, I mean, if we ever get out of this place, we're going to have to take him with him. Well, it looked like it was never going to happen, but there's that bone box sitting there. And then Moses showed up, goes to Pharaoh, let my people go. He got the ten plagues. He leads them out. Red Sea parts. They're about to leave Egypt, and I just, I just kind of picture it this way. Somebody goes, oh, wait a minute. Hey, go get that bone box been there the whole time we can't leave it here we made an oath we said we're going to take it so they go and grab the bone box and they take it with them somebody throws it on his wagon for 40 years they're traveling through the wilderness with that bone box and then finally in joshua chapter 24 so they've entered into the promised land now and you got the conquest and all that chapter 24 verse 32 it says joseph's bones which the Israelites had brought up from Egypt were buried at Shechem in the parcel of land Jacob had purchased from his sons at Hamor, of, or the sons of Hamor, Shechem's father, for a hundred pieces of silver. It was an inheritance for Joseph's descendants. That bone box finally found its resting place in the promised land. How did Joseph know that was going to happen hundreds of years in the future? How could he possibly know the future? He didn't know the future, but he knew who held the future, and he knew the promises of God. And so he placed his faith in God's promises. Beloved, real quick now, let's just, let's just get honest here for a second. You know, the death rate is 100%. Every one of, everybody dies. Everybody does. You've heard me say this before. You know this. We would like to deny it. We'd like to put it off as long as we can. We're young. We're healthy. We're whatever. Everybody dies sooner or later. For most of us, it's going to be sooner. Some of us won't see the new year. Some of us won't be around this time next year. I mean, that's just the way it is. Scripture says it's appointed unto man once to die. We saw this back in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. It's appointed unto man once to die. To everybody's going to die. Then the judgment. Then we're going to stand before God. And we're going to give an account. There is an eternal destiny, one way or the other, for everybody. How can I make this go? How can I face death? 
if it's the reality. I mean, I can deny it, but how in the world do I face it? Only one way, by faith. By faith, you have a future for eternity. By faith, Jesus says, hey, I'm going to prepare a place for you, and if I go, I'm going to come again. I'll take you to myself. Where I am there, you may be also. In other words, you can trust me. I got this. You can't handle life, much less death. Jesus says, I tell you what, I'll take care of it for you. I'll take care of it for you. Beloved, the way we bury our dead is a symbol of our faith. I don't know if you ever noticed this. Again, if you've ever been out to a cemetery with me when I've talked about this, I try to talk about it every time. We bury our dead facing east. If you look at the graveyards, all the Christian graveyards, the, the, the body is laid facing east. So if you were to stand up in the grave, you're facing east. Why do we bury our dead that way? Because Jesus said, I'm going, but I'm coming again. <laughs> and the scripture, you know, indicates it's going to be from the east, the rising of the sun. You know, one day that old sky is going to melt away, and here's going to come Jesus. And here's going to come Jesus. And those who are dead in Christ, raised a brand new body. Now, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, but raised in Christ. Just go back and read 1 Corinthians 15 sometime. You get all that. Brand new body, never to grow old, never to get sick, never to die, imperishable, immortal. Okay, how do I know that? How can I, how can I hope in that Jesus? Keep your eyes on Jesus so we don't, Keep our eyes on death. We don't keep our eyes on this world. We keep our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, from the first to the last, from birth to death. By faith, I'm going to make it through, and only by faith am I going to make it through. So I just ask you this morning, are you ready for the future? Are you ready for your future? You've been betrayed. You've failed. You're facing death. We all are. How are you going to make it? How are you going to make it? Well, I tell you what, I'd encourage you, like with Jacob, reach out and take a hold of Jesus. Because, you know, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. There really is only one way to get to God, and that's through him. And Jesus says, if you'll give me your life, I'll take it. And I'll give you life, and you will, and I'll give you hope, and I'll give you a future. There's no future Honestly, beloved, apart from Jesus. I, I don't know about you. I don't like to think about the future because one of the things, I don't really like what I see. I don't know what's going to happen, and I like to be in control. I don't know what's going to happen in this world. I don't know what's going to happen in the Middle East. I don't know what's going to happen in my own country. I don't even know what's going to happen in my own family. For the most part, I would really like to think about something else. <laughs> But you know, the future keeps coming. The future keeps coming. It's going to show up sooner or later. How are you going to face it? How are you going to make it? Well, there's just one way, really. Child of God, that's by faith. Because listen, you don't hold the future, or you, you may not know the future, but you know who holds the future. There's an old song or something like that. I may not uh, know what tomorrow brings, but I know who holds the future, and I know who holds my hand. That's faith. 
And beloved, today, just in the name of Jesus, I, I just want to encourage you. Like, like my grandmother, you know, she just had this outlook of life. She just trusted God. She was really just a simple woman of faith, but she prayed. She prayed like it all depended upon God because it did. And you know what? God was faithful. God was faithful. And she would, if she could stand up here today, I did her funeral in 2002. She was, 100, she was born in 1900. She was 102 years old. I preached her funeral. 2002, if she could have stood up, she would have said, he's faithful and he's worth it. Keep your eyes on Jesus and trust him by faith. She would have said, I walked with him a long time and I never found him short. I never found that he failed me. He hadn't failed me then and he won't fail me now. She trusted him on into eternity and you can too. Is your faith in Jesus? He's the only way. He's the only truth. He's the only life. Father, today in the name of Jesus, I thank you that you hold the future. And, Lord, that we can trust you. And I would just ask you today, Lord, that you would. Father, that you just, God, that you would just open our hearts and minds in a way that we could see and respond to you. And, Lord, that you would strengthen our faith. I know there's no other way. I know we might sometime like to find another way, but there's no other way but Jesus. God, help us now today by faith, Lord, to look to you and to trust you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. And the invitation today is, is to put your faith in Jesus. No matter what you're going through, no matter what you find yourself, no matter what's happening in your life, in your home, in your world, he's faithful and you can trust him. Right now, our response to him is just one of faith. Right now, come on, lead us. Just.